and to explore the universe experimentally. We test this and we check that and we run an experiment and we design it intelligently. So science sought seeks to explain nature without resorting to a supernatural explanation. And that turned out to be a really good thing to do. It produces a lot of understanding of the natural world around us. And all of that happened primarily in the context of a Christian understanding of the created world. However, at the beginning of the period of the Enlightenment, we started asking ourselves this question, well, what if we just do about God or something altogether? And so we go in the 19th century from the sort of useful thought experiment to say, well, let's imagine God has nothing to do with it, to say God has nothing to do with it. And we don't notice that that's not required by any of the experiments. It's just we're laying aside any need for God. And we're saying, we start with, with uh, uh, how do I forget this guy's name? Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. We go to Kant, where we have this sort of development of rationalism. It says we have to be able to explain without uh, something from its very basic roots. Um, so, we end up in this place where we deny the supernatural category altogether. Now, that was just a little philosophical history lesson. <laughs> but what is, where do we end up with this? Well, at the bottom of your hand out there, I have a little chart. It says, uh, what are the basic presuppositions of the modern world as compared to what we might call biblical Christianity. Now, I'd like you to be thinking while we're talking through these things, like, why is this useful information? What is, what good is it to know this? Because I want you to be trying to mm. answer that question, because it may not be just immediately obvious. Why it's a valuable thing to understand this distinction. <clears throat> and for a Christian, the principal value is our appreciation for the reality of the God we serve. Mm. And so that is a, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where we end up. But that has uh, implications that might be even more to it down for the practical but so the first question is what is the nature of things what does it mean when we say something is or something exists the five dollar word for this is ontology and in the modern world what we claim is a claim of materialistic naturalism the material universe is everything 
and everything is the material universe. There is no spiritual reality. That's the basic point. In fact, when we imagine a spiritual reality, that is exactly what we're doing, imagining. And so the basic ontology, the nature of existence in the modern mindset is anti-supernatural. In other words, we have completed the move from saying it's useful to ignore God's existence while we study this relationship in nature to God doesn't exist. The thing that exists is the material universe. Uh, in biblical Christianity, we say the thing that exists is a personal, spiritual reality. It is a thing created by a triune God, three person, personal being. So we have a very basic difference of view on what is the nature of things. The second question is, how do we know? How do you come to believe what you come to believe? And should you? And should you do it that way? Should you believe what you believe or should you believe something else? How did you decide that was true and that wasn't? How do you explore what is true? Oh, and is true a true category? And uh, in the modern world, the way we derive this is what we would call independent rationalism. This is what I was talking about a minute ago. I think, therefore I am. It's a basic presupposition. And from that premise, we figure everything else out. We might just can develop it to something we call empiricism. That's our uh, that's we test something to see if it's true. Uh, but we operate independently. Uh, in biblical Christianity, how do we know what's true? Well, the basic method is the one who knows and tells us. What we would call revelation or communication. And then we would combine that with the philosophical framework we call realism. And in this case, independent rationalism has devolved into this sort of, well, we can't even really know what's true. And so maybe the whole idea of truth is a false category, except we just called it a false category, which we can't call anything because there's no such thing as truth. In other words, we end up wrapped up in our own mental underwear in this uh, <laughs> We end up in the postmodern age claiming nothing's true. True is not true. And in the biblical Christian worldview, we say, no, 
is grounded in the three personal God. And what we know to be true is a consequence of his communication with us, either in making us in the first place or making things around us, or in his actual linguistic communication. And one, one of the ways I know things is someone who knows them tells me. Um, and of course, that would be true of everyone, if it's true of anyone. I know things because someone who knows tells me. And I believe things because I trust the one who told me. Uh, now, can I be deceived? Yes. So, who's telling me and what they tell me might really matter. But our basic epistemology, our basic how do we know things is, a, is something I'm calling here communication and realism. And in comparison to the modern worldview of we just think we figure it out for ourselves. And we begin with a very basic philosophical premise, which is, here I am thinking about stuff, so I must exist. Uh, well, then the question is, how do we decide what matters, what's valuable, what our purpose is? Do we have purpose? What's the source of meaning? And in uh, modern world we, I would say, have some combination of humanism, the exaltation of the human species, as a species, because what else could we do? And some kind of utilitarianism. How do we maximize pleasure and minimize suffering? What is most fulfilling? How do we work toward that and away from suffering? Now, obviously, it's good to move from away from suffering towards fulfillment. The problem here is we don't have a good way of determining what would be in those two categories and how do we maximize it? Uh, we have a problem. There's lots of problems with this sort of utilitarian way of thinking about uh, ethics. Nevertheless, there are some very well-developed ethical systems that are essentially this. What if our ethics are not grounded in moral persons? God. Now, how do we have ethics? And the answer to that question is we avoid suffering, we pursue fulfillment, and you get all kinds of complications like who's suffering. And does that mean you should make one person die for the sake of the other person? By the way, abortion is even infanticide is justified on this basis. Or 
euthanasia is justified on this basis. So, of course, it gets to be too much of a burden on the rest of us. The solution to that is to get rid of that person. Uh, how do you make this judgment? How do you do all the infinite calculus required for making these judgments? Uh, so, nevertheless, that's the, this is the distinction. What if there's no God? How do we decide what's right and what's wrong? It's a very tricky problem. In the Christian biblical worldview, the the value is determined by our enjoyment in the glory of God. The Westminster Confession says, uh, what is the chief end of man? This is in the Catechism. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's, that's the value. <clears throat> okay, how are things going to work out in the eschatology? In the modern view, well, one of two options. We evolve or we become extinct. For me, there's a real problem here, and that is why is one of those better than the other? In fact, that's a real problem, not just for me, but in the modern mindset, there's a whole group of what you might call radical environmentalists who basically say the problem in the world today is there's too many human beings. That human beings are in fact the scourge of nature. So the best thing to do is sort of something like commit species suicide. You know, it's, it ends up sort of convoluted, obviously. But, uh, whether progress or evolution or becoming an improved version of ourselves is better than just ceasing to exist is a, is a live question in this mindset. Uh, but those are kind of the two options. And talking about the end doesn't always make sense in this context, unless you're talking about extinction. In biblical Christianity, what's the how do things work out in the end? Well, God works them out in redemption or judgment. So, what what is our hope? Our hope is not in the simple improvement of humanity or in our own human progress. Our hope is in, in the return of Christ. And the resurrection in the end. Finally, you have a, a theological presupposition. What is God? What's the nature of his existence? Does it exist? In the modern worldview, I think there's probably three primary ways of thinking about this. First is just atheists. There is a God. Second is, well, there could be a God, but it doesn't matter. That's agnosticism. We can't really determine whether there's a God or not a God. There might be, but it's irrelevant. 
And the third is what I call deism, what I'm calling deism here, which is, yeah, there's a God, but he's not much involved. He's sort of wound the block and now he's observing how things are working out. Okay, what's the biblical Christian idea of God? It's a holy, personal trinity. It's an eternal relationship. It's uh, reflected in the personal nature of creation itself, which we could observe is personal, even if we only observe our own society and our own uh, relational nature. Uh, to regard that as an accident of chance seems far-fetched and probably as much an exercise of simple belief as the view that all things are created. So uh, we're just starting with these basic assumptions and our own but this distinction between what's the modern worldview and what's Christianity. And where we end up is with these five lies, we're calling deceptions. You might notice that it sort of begins with the deception that reduces creation to accident, material crash. So, here are the five problems. Number one, the factual selves. All existence is the product of time and chance. We'll, we'll spend some time talking about this. We're gonna, next week, we're going to talk about what's our approach to handling this, and then we're going to follow that next week, next month. Oh, now I'm going to go through each one of these one at a time and sort of explore where they go, what are the various versions of them. And uh, so the first one is the dice hole themselves. All existence is the product of time and chance. In this view, the universe itself, the material universe itself, is the eternal You might not have ever noticed this, but something must be everlasting if anything exists at all. It has to be an eternal thing. In the materialistic, naturalistic worldview, the eternal thing is the material, natural universe. The Big Bang, the Big Bang, Expansion, contraction, another big bang, and so on. And what happened here with us is some kind of improbable accident. Or maybe it's very probable if you just let it happen enough times. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the second line is, your guess is as good as mine. Now this is where we go if we have this epistemology of 
independent rationalism happen. And we have this problem that truth becomes subjective. Well, that is a nonsense statement. It can't be subjective and be true. So to say truth is subjective, we have to redefine what we mean when we say truth. Each of us has his or her own truth in this way of thinking that my system is valid for me. So we end up talking about, well, that's your truth. And that's my truth. We're in the process of denying the category of truth without noticing. It's very difficult to actually operate in the world with this mindset. This is, I think, the source of a lot of seriously mindless nonsense that is happening in our culture today. Where we just say, this is true for me. And you can't deny it. But we're accidentally saying, maybe, or maybe on purpose, we're saying, the whole category of truth is not true. Uh, so, you, you make your guess, I'll make mine, everything's fine. It's going to be really hard to see how we keep on learning, discovering, understanding, after eliminating the possibility of something being true in any objective sense. Yes, that's line two. That's it's very damaging. The third line is God is everyone's friend. So we think there's a God, then we think God is basically good and He likes everyone. Well, except for really bad people. We might make some exceptions. So hell is only for good. Very few people in hell because God is friendly. God likes them. I'm calling that a lot. Just make sure you notice. I don't believe this statement God is everyone's friend. Or that he likes everyone. Now I'm carefully avoiding using the word love, which is not the same. But there's a real question about whether he loves everyone too, but that's another thing. But uh, basically God is on your side. We have a whole way of thinking in the modern world that says God's like your grandpa. And he's there to help you be a good person. He supports you. Now, from a biblical point of view, this is upside down. Just the world talk about this. Third, the fourth body is you have to please yourself. This, these things are related, of course, and this is the idea that your self-esteem is the most important thing. Your self-esteem, your self-fulfillment, your self-expression, it's kind of a selfism. 
it's almost religious. I guess I don't really need the word almost. It's kind of religious. This is how we've gotten in our society to the thing that matters is how you self-identify. You know that in the entire history of humanity, it's only in the last 10 or 15 years you identify yourself. For all of history, you were identified. Now you identify. This is this is an expression of this sort of self-esteem as the supreme value going crazy. You gotta please yourself. Now what would be the alternative to that? It's a good question. Why is this a bad idea? It's a good question. Why number five is there's no way out. The whole thing ends up being kind of pointless. This is like realism or exhibition. And this is your life is whatever you make of it. Then you die. That's pretty much the whole story. The whole thing's kind of meaningless unless you make some meaning out of it. Well, what that, what that means is the meaning you make is also meaningless. And by the way, the philosophers that advanced that, you would admit that and say, nevertheless, it's important that you make some meaning out of your existence. They don't have any good reason why it's important, except that it seems to be important, that it's good for you to invest your life with meaning. But you're going to die. Uh, what's the source of meaning from a biblical Uh This whole thing. So, this idea of, well, you just do the best you can. Make whatever you make out of your life, and you're going to die. Now be the end of that. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. How, is, how do we keep on keeping on that mindset? Well, in many respects, we simply don't. This mindset is ultimately suicidal. So, those are the five lines. That's where we're going. This is what we're going to be talking about. It's kind of philosophical in a certain way, but what we want to do is develop a system of questioning, a sort of critical thinking system to evaluate these things. Say, what how do we how do we judge this assertion that the world is just by chance? Is that a is that does that worldview really explain everything? Is it comprehensive? 
Is it coherent? Does it make sense in its own under its own in its own terms? Is it coherent? And is it uh, competent? These three C's that are used on all these different ways of thinking. Is it competent? In other words, does it work in actual human life in society? Is that going to is that going to work out, or is it going to get us in trouble? And then we also want to talk about, as, as biblical Christians, how do you address this stuff? How do you address issues of truth and lies? How do you address these basic deceptive principles that are operating in the common view of the world around us? Uh, and so we're going to spend some time talking about uh, next time we're going to talk about what's our what's our practical approach. We were Angela and I were talking about uh, a situation at work where he's making an argument. What is the argument we're going to make? How do you how do you assert the truth? In opposition to these lies, and by the way, again, I need to say that these these statements have many different expressions. So one of the things we're also going to do is think about where where do we hear something that's really bad? Where do we hear something that God is everyone's friend? By the way. We hear these things also inside the fellowship of the church, where you're not immune from this stuff. So, as I mentioned, the whole concept of a sort of humanistic view of things lived very happily in the church for thousands of years. So, how do we, where do we see this in our own? Understanding of things even in the, in the community of the church. So, that's where we're going. I, was, uh, I wanted to read uh, some of the scriptures that are in the Congress. This is Romans chapter 1. I don't really want to read this whole thing. Romans 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, but as it is written, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed again against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Here's what men do. Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So that they are without excuse. One of the things this text tells us is that our 
turn away from God has an impact on our sense and our rational capacity to suppress the truth. Uh, and so our way of thinking goes on. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, thinking, and their foolish heart was heart. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So professing to be smart, they became stupid. The sin of humanity has had an impact on our rational capacities. <clears throat> they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so, 2 Timothy 2, our 4. Verse 2, preach the word. The word of the we have word of Christ the gospel. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, restore with great patience and instruction. For time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. But only to have their ears support, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. In accordance to their own desires among the tribe, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, and your hardship to the work of the evangelist fulfill your ministry. So Paul's telling Timothy here wrote, the world is going to turn from the truth. To not that they're surviving and learning, lots of teaching, but it's turning aside to this. I would regard the idea that the universe itself is self existing as a myth, also, not provable. So if someone says the universe is the eternal thing, I would want to say something like, why did you pick the universe? As opposed to creating. Why did, why is that eternal thing better than that eternal thing? There's simply no answer to that question. Sort of that book there is both. You pick one. Mm -hmm. By that. Uh, in my estimation, that's turning aside from the truth to a myth. Um, where, oh, Ecclesiastes 1. I, I would encourage you where Solomon says, hey, mm -hmm. the thinking. Humanity, apart from God, ends up in futility. Thinking of humanity is not grounded in and in the pursuit of God, it becomes futile. And 
all of these that are examples of that. Now, we're giving the devil credit for this. Where does this stuff all come from? I think it comes from the mother of God's. Even if he's not putting the signature on the name of the Okay, that's all I have.